Um, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll start at 18 through 27. Let's pray. Lord, I, uh, I thank you for Christ. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for an opportunity to be able to come up here and serve this morning, um, to be able to talk about Jesus, to be able to, uh, hopefully, by the power of the Spirit, um, explain the text accurately. Lord, I know that no one will be changed, no one will be drawn to you um, on my words or uh, my emotions, but they'll only be drawn to you because of your words, um, because of the Bible. And so, Lord, I pray that I would, because of that, I would teach it accurately. I, I pray that I would be 100% right with every word that I say and that the words I speak would be your words because that's what will change people's lives. That's what will make me fall in love with you more. That's what will make everyone here fall in love with you more. And so, Lord, I pray for um, the Spirit to come and and speak through me. And I pray for the Spirit to come and speak to the hearts of everyone here, including myself, that afterwards um, we may be changed. We may be conformed more to the image of Christ. We may be... Um, challenged to go and walk differently. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my goal here today is this, that um, after today is over, um, there's, there's, well, my prayer is that we would all be different. Um, I pray that, that we would all be changed, that we would be challenged to walk differently. One of three possibilities is going to happen here. Um, either you're going to say, that's exactly what I want in my life. That's, that's who I want to be. That's the kind of person I want to be. And today's going to mark the difference. Today's going to be the day that I'm going to make the change. Or um, you're going to maybe walk the other way or you're just going to kind of stay the same and we'll come in here next Sunday and we'll, we'll be the exact same. Um, God and His sovereignty will cause the difference, not, not us. And so I don't want to manufacture or try to manufacture any kind of change in your life. I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit's going to do it all in our lives. Um, all of us... It seems like at every moment we're, we're in transitions in our lives. And so all of us are coming here right now with this, this time where if we were to make a shift, just something would be different in our life that we know that we really want to do, that uh, if we made a, a decision to change something in our life to make us want to pursue Christ a little bit more, that this would be one of the best times to do it. Um, perhaps you just got married and in your marriage... You know that you want to exalt Christ, but if you were to just make a little bit of a shift, your marriage would be would be overjoyed in the things of Christ. Maybe you're about to get married and you want your marriage to always be like that. And so um, there's a shift that could happen in your life. There's a change. There's a sin that could be dropped. There's a, a habit that could be let go. And if that shifts, then now you're at a place right now where you want to walk with Christ. Perhaps you have young children like me and um, they're not really grown up into the things of Christ. That they're, they're so young that it's, it's really difficult for them to understand. And if you were to make this little shift in your family where Jesus becomes the sinner, that their whole life would be an experience of only knowing joys in Jesus. Or maybe they're about to walk out of the house for the last time and you're going to be empty nesters. And um, you've raised them to know Christ, but you know that now you have an opportunity with more time to really... Focus your hearts and affections on Jesus in such a way that um, 
it's been it would just be different than it was before. It would just be different. Maybe you just graduated college and you've been walking with Christ a little bit, but you're about to start kind of adulthood. And this new way, this new way of life is like, all right, I want every day to just be about him and him alone. Um, I, I was in college walking with him and I would also find joys in these kind of we're all in these little transition moments, if you, if you notice. And I think that um if we would say, all right, whatever it is that seems to be the thing that's keeping me, I want to, at least just for the next month, remove that from my life, even if it's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. Remove that from my life and just see what Jesus does over the next month. See if he raises my joy in him. I'm praying that that's going to be the case for us. Now, this text is a very interesting text um, because it deals with... uh, antichrists and and things like that and so uh the overall goal of john in the book of first john is that he would uh help us um have insight to know whether we're in christ to know um that we are saved that one of the goals he has and he tells us in first uh, john five thirteen, is that we would know that we have assurance of salvation this is what he says in five thirteen. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So perhaps um, you're walking down the path of salvation. You're walking down the path of um, a relationship with Jesus. And there are times, we all have them, where either we're in sin or we just have a lot of intellectual questions where you're just like, is this, is this real? Am I, really, am I really walking with Jesus? Do I have this whole thing down? Am I... Am, is this, am I fooling myself? Because I, I feel like there's, there's more to being with Jesus than what I have in my life right now. And so, um, am I in? Am I not in? Do I know him? And, and John is wanting you to know that you can know. Does that make sense? He's wanting you to know that you can know. You don't have to guess and wonder. I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. So, there is a possibility of assurance of salvation. Praise God. Or we would just be, we would be wretchedly horrible. Like we'd be so devastated all the time. Am I in? Am I not? We would drive ourselves crazy. And this little text we're looking at, 18 through 27, um, one of his goals as he's writing this, as he talks about Antichrist and things like that, is to give you seven little possibilities or seven indications or seven ways to know whether you are in or whether you're not in Jesus, or whether you have for sure eternal life or not. Um, the, way, uh, the way I have it on the screen here is uh, knowing you're in Christ. Knowing versus not knowing. We, and, and some of these, out of these seven, will help you know that you're in. Some of them will, not, will, will show that you're not. So let's read the text. I'll re- rehearse the first three, um, and then we'll go, we'll go from there. All right, this is what the text says. Children, it's the last hour. And when he says last hour, he just means we're in the last days. We're in the last days. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, talking about these Antichrists, these people who were saying they were in Christ, but now they're not anymore. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. If they had been Christians, then they would have stayed here with us as Christians in the church. But these Antichrists went out that it might become plain that they're not of us. But you, Christians, have been anointed by the Holy One. You have the Holy Spirit, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know the truth. Um... And because no lie is of the truth. 
Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise He made to us. Eternal life. Praise God. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received, and this is kind of like a mirror of verse 20. Look at verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy One, verse 27. But the anointing, so he's talking about the Holy Spirit that you received from Him, abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. That's the text. And then we, we looked at three things last week, and, and these, these, these things are kind of scattered and, 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 and sprinkled throughout these verses. Um, it's not like verse, the, the, verse 18 has the first one. Verse 19, he, he's kind of spreading it out. And so I want you to see him. The first way to know that we're in Christ um, is, is in verse 19. It says, but they went out from us, but they were not of us. So they have been with, a, with us. They were continued with us. So basically, um, if you have left the church, you have left the faith for good, that's an indication to know that you're not in Christ. Um, if you're in this building, that might not include you. But perhaps you know someone. Perhaps you know someone, uh, a, a mother, a father, a brother, a family, you know, a, a friend, whatever. And they said, I walked with Jesus in high school and college and in my 20s, but a tragedy happened. Um, maybe they lost their spouse. I don't know. So a tragedy happened. And they said, if that's who God is, I don't want him. I'm going to do my own thing for the rest of my life. And so this text tells us they would have continued with us if they had been of us. That's pretty direct and pretty like, wow, man, is it really that? Um, That's what the text says. So one indication to know that we're in Christ, that we have eternal life, is that you, you stay in the faith. You stay in the church. And if you're in the faith, I would make the case that you would be in a church, um, a church somewhere. Um, so that's the first one. The next one is, uh, I used verse 20 and 27. Um, an indication to know that you're in Jesus is that you have the Holy Spirit. 20 says, but you've been anointed by the Holy One. 27, the anointing that you received abides in you. So you have an anointing. And, and that's not a crazy charismatic word. It's just a biblical word um, that you have an anointing. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you, leading you, guiding you, directing you, convicting you of sin, um, teaching you as you read the word, all kinds of things. So when you feel that, when you sense that, when you're walking through life and you start feeling convicted of sin, these are good indications that you are in Christ. These are good indications. Um, And remember, the whole point here is that we're trying to know that we are in Christ because we all have these moments. We all have these times where we wonder. We We all wonder sometimes, am I in him or am I not? All right, and then verse 21 says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. So those who know the truth are in Christ. And the truth is just the truth of the gospel. You know the gospel. Um, it's something that you understand and you can communicate. Now, I'm going to, as we get to number six today, um, say something very similar to number three, but it's different. Number three is you know it. You know it. All right, so that's where we are. Now we're coming up to uh, the fourth one. And the fourth one is uh, in three different verses, and they're not together. Look at 18. Um, 
Children, it's the last hour and you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. So we're talking in this context about Antichrists. All right, look at verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. All right, so look at verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So those three verses give us an indication. Um, Antichrist, Antichrist, deceivers. Alright, so here's, here's number four. A way to know whether you're in Christ, a way to know whether you're, um, you're in salvation or you have eternal life is you are the Antichrist. If you are the Antichrist, you are, you are not... I mean, this is really obvious. And I, I made this one like Captain Obvious. Um, if you are the Antichrist, you are not in Jesus. That's pretty obvious. Um, or... And Antichrist, because you see that we, in 18 it says, so now many Antichrists, and so I need to define Antichrist. It, it's really obvious. If you are anti-Christ, so if you do things that go against Jesus, and your heart, you, your deepest core thoughts are, I am against Jesus, then you are not in Him. Um, so how can, how can we look at this as a church and think, how does this apply? Whenever I was in ninth grade, um, uh, let me give you an idea of what I don't mean. Whenever I was in ninth grade, um, I thought, well, I was a bit of a class clown, um, problem maker, and, and, and I know that comes as a, as a shock to some of y'all. Um, I, was, I was immature then. Um, so anyway, in ninth grade, I thought it would be hilarious. Back then, we didn't have phones um, you know, maybe some really, really rich kid had what's known as a car phone. And this, this, this little thing you had to put in your window and it, you hid the cord and you had this massive, like, home phone on a cord there you could pick it up. Like, some really, really rich kids might have that. But, but we didn't have phones. So what we had to do, if we wanted to know the time, is carry these, these cool watches on our wrists. And they had all kinds of get, gadgets and gadgets. I mean, this digital watches were all the rage back in 1989. Um, and so, I, uh, I had one of these, and, and almost every guy, we, you know, we had 25 guy, people in the class, maybe every guy had one of these awesome digital watches. So we had a good 13 guys, and I said, hey, um, class runs from 12.30 to 1.30 today. Wouldn't it be awesome if we all set our alarms at 1, at 1 p.m., halfway during the class, every one of us? And so we're all 30 seconds to a minute off, and so we could have almost a minute and a half to two straight minutes of alarms going off all over the whole class. And so, um, you're like, yeah. So we're all setting our watch alarms and we're doing all that. And so as soon, like, I don't know who started, but the last guys, um, some of them were like, but the last guys, his did that for the first 10 seconds, but then the last 10 seconds didn't do, it went, so like, it was just incredibly, incredibly noticeable and loud. And we're all going everywhere. Everybody's going everywhere. And all of a sudden, his is doing it for the last. Da, 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 da. And so the teacher looks out, very frustrated. And she looks straight at me. This is in Spanish class. Juan! Like, she called me Juan, because um, my name's John. Juan! And so she's, yeah, all of it was blamed at me. Like, she didn't know that I planned it. And everybody's watch all over class was going, was going off. But at the very end of it all, she looked straight at me. And I'm the one that gets blamed. And so I'm thinking, why was it that I got blamed? Um, immediately, I was the one that was called on is because she knew there was like this air of, that I carried for some reason um, of deceptiveness. Um, and so we're not just necessarily talking about some low-level deception like that. We're talking about um, you are 
against Jesus. You are anti-Christ. It's not like you just do little things um, like that. You try to pick, pick, do little gags or stuff like that. You're really into pranks. Um, this is someone who is anti, anti, anti-Jesus. So, if I'm thinking about this and I'm trying to think, all right, if I'm preaching to a church here, um, hopefully no one hears the Antichrist, or at least wanting to be an Antichrist. So, how can I make this applicable today for y'all? Um, well, the real, um, the real way to, I think for us to think about is this: um, an Antichrist is also someone who denies with Jesus. Denies Jesus. They may try to get others not to walk with Jesus, but they deny Jesus. And so I start thinking how, even though we're not antichrist, even though we're not um, against Jesus, we love Jesus, how can we sometimes deny him? How can we sometimes deny him? I was looking at a commentator, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. This is, um, how would we deny Jesus today in 2010? Probably in a different way than the first century. It would, it would be more n- nuanced. Theirs was very distinct because they they didn't necessarily believe jesus was human and the person of god like they they had these these different categories that well he was jesus but he was also the christ but he wasn't jesus christ um and that's why he said whoever denies that jesus is the christ um is a liar in in 22 and so for us today this is what dr martin lloyd Jones says it says we may be living we may as christians we may be living with some vague belief in God. Now, he's talking about Christians here. He's talking about at least those in the church. Those are in the church. We may be living with some vague belief in God as a power or a force or someone who can help us in a moment of need. People in the church might be walking through life day in, day out with, with a with a belief in their head about God, that He exists, and, and a love perhaps for Jesus because they don't want to go to hell. But in actuality, what's going on is they have a vague belief in God as a power or a force or someone who can help them in a moment of need. But the teaching of our Lord Himself, as it is in the teaching of all the New Testament apostles, is that there is no such thing as a true knowledge of God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. That He is the Lord of your life. That He reigns in every area. There's not just some kind of vague belief where we call out to Him in moments of need or moments of trial. Um, What He's saying is, we may deny Jesus in every other place in our life, except for we definitely want Jesus and we, we, we need Him in our life when there's times of trial and times of something going on. But in every other aspect of our life, holiness... Sin, um, giving, whatever. I mean, you fill in the blank. I don't know. We deny him. We deny him. And so I'm thinking, how can that happen today? How can we decide as Christians that really we're going to deny Christ in every aspect of our life except for just moments of need? Why would we treat him as just some kind of power some kind of force. And so, uh, I wonder a couple things. Number one, you can go back to verse 19. I wonder if we really know him. But more than that, maybe, I wonder if we just don't fully comprehend the gospel. Um, maybe we just have gotten over the fact that we have been forgiven by a great 
glorious God. And we've gotten into a little bit of a habit of maybe denying him with our life. And, and, and it happens subtly. I don't think it's just some kind of major shift in our mind. You say, you know what? Tonight, from now on, I'm just going to kind of deny God with this aspect of my life. It's just a subtle thing. Um, we, don't, we don't make big decisions as Christians like that to just say, no Jesus. Usually we want Jesus. But I think if we did a little self-examination, maybe we can start seeing the subtleties where it kind of crept in where we deny him. And so my challenge for us on this fourth point here is that we can do some real heart tests, some real examination and see where are some little subtle places where we're denying him. It, it, it can be in all different places. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you used to read the Bible as a couple. You used to pray together as a couple, but you don't anymore. Maybe you used to teach your children about Jesus, but now you maybe kind of do here and there. Um, Maybe you used to give, but maybe you stopped. Maybe you used to want to go um, live in another country, but now you've just kind of gotten used to being here. Um, maybe you used to give a lot of things away to help the poor, and maybe don't anymore. Maybe you used to read your Bible daily, but now it's just once a week. Um, I, I don't know, but those are, those are forms of denial. Those are forms of denial. And so instead of trying to you know, take my Bible here and, and just beat you over the head and make you feel terrible about it, which... I don't think guilt motivates. I want you to just return to the grace of God that we had. Remember when you first got saved, or at least whenever you knew someone that first got saved, and you just kind of, like, whenever I know someone that first gets saved, I just want to be around them because they have this, this um, naivete, is that the right way to say it, about how the world works with Christianity, and they just think, oh, I'm supposed to tell everybody about Jesus, right? Yeah, you are, but I get a little nervous about it now, and so I like being around them because they challenge me to want to do it. They, they're like, Bible, I've never even read it. And they're just, I've read Romans and I read John. And just, they read like five books of the Bible a day. And you're just like, oh, I wish I had that back. I wish I had that back. Why don't I have that? Subtle little forms of denial sometimes slip in. And so where are you? Um, for some of us, it's, it's huge. For some of us, it's, it's smaller amounts. But we're all kind of denying them a little bit in our lifestyle. So um, even me, definitely me. So the first challenge is where are we? We're not antichrists, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> we're not antichrists here. So, but where are we denying him? Where are some of the places that maybe we're denying him in our, in our lives? Um, the next one I want us to see is in verse 23. Verse 23 says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So a way to know you have eternal life, a way to know that you're in Christ is you confess the Son. Well, what does that mean? Because that's just like confessing. What does that mean? Um, let's, let's flip over to Romans 9. Um, I'm sorry, Romans 10. All the Calvinists just got really happy just then. But then I crushed it when I said 10. Um, I'll talk, if you don't know what I mean, I'll tell you later. Um, Romans 10, verse 9. Romans 10, verse 9. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Romans 10, verse 9 says this. We're talking about what it means to confess Jesus. What does it mean to confess Jesus? Um, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes and is justified and is with the mouth, the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, Confession is simple to say. Confessing that Jesus is Lord is simple to say. But that doesn't mean that it's simplistic. Doesn't mean that it's simplistic. 
Um, just because it's simple to say, it's difficult and it's costly. And it means, yes, Jesus is the Lord of your life. So it means your life. It means that He's now the owner of you. He possesses you. So to confess the Son means that we confess that with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. That means He's King. It's no longer King Fudd that rules my life. It's King Jesus that rules my life. So every decision, every moment, um, whether I feel like sleeping in that morning, whether I feel like working hard that day, whether I feel like disciplining my child the way that I should rather than just exploding, but getting down on, on their level and talking with them, um, whether it feels like I need to confess my, my um, inaccuracies or, that's not a good word, um, confessing my, my sins or the way I, I fail as a husband um, or maybe the way you fail as a wife or whatever, confessing those things um, because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Um, letting him be King Jesus over every aspect of your life, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is a, this is a definite belief in the resurrection, the literal three-day resurrection of Jesus. Um, and then it says, we'll be saved, for it's with the heart that one believes and is justified. So with our hearts, we believe in Christ. We put all of our hope in him, and it's with the mouth that one is confessed and is saved. So yeah, um, you can do that. Even if you don't know Jesus this morning, very simply, very, very simply, you can confess that you want Christ and you can, you can transfer kingdoms. You can receive eternal life this morning if you don't know Jesus. Very simple to do. Very, very, very simple to do. The gospel is not some kind of crazy hard thing to understand. God wants us to understand it. God wants you, if you're a Christ, not a Christian, to become a Christian, put your faith in Jesus, receive eternal life. Very simple to understand. But that doesn't mean it's simplistic. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, put your faith in Him. He died for you. He died for you to be forgiven. He loves you. He wants you to be His child. Put your faith in Him this morning. You confess the Son. Now, the next two that we're going to look at are in verse 24 and verse 27. Um, I was reading John Piper, and he says that... Um, and these last two, verse 24 and verse 27, are very connected. Um, and they are the only two imperatives in this entire set of verses from 18 to 27. Imperatives means um, directives, like you have to do this. I can give you some information. Here's a bunch of information, you know, here's all the things. But then now that you know that information, this is what you're supposed to do. Those things are called imperatives. And these are the only two imperatives in this text. One's in verse 24, one's in verse 27. Um, so I want you to see these two things and then we're going to look at them. Um, he says this, In this long text there are only two imperatives. One is in verse 24, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And the other is in verse 27 at the end, As his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. So two imperatives. Let the word abide in you and the spirit, which is Christ, abide in you. I think those two things go hand in hand and they're distinct and I'm, I, want, I want to go over both of those today, right now with you. All right? Number, number six. Look at verse 24a. This means the first half of 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. So this, this let is the word that lets us know that this is the directive. Um, this is the imperative. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. So we need to know what we heard from the beginning. Um, first of all, we need to know what, what, what does this mean to them? What is John saying to the people that are hearing this letter? Because whatever 
abided in them from the beginning is what we're supposed to let abide in us in the, from the beginning. Um, so what abided, what abided, what was abiding in them in the beginning? Um, I'm still learning conjugation. All right. There's a couple places we can have insight on this. First is in one five. There's a lot of from the beginnings in in First John uh, all throughout. So fr- these from the beginnings are the insights that let us know what abided in them from the beginning. One five, um, and this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So that's the message. That's the thing that they heard that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There's there's gospel language in there also. And 3.11, yeah, 3.11, um, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So from one five and 3.11, we hear that the message that they heard from the beginning is that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all and that we should love one another. Um, and if you, you continue to look at the entire of the, of the, of the book, we're going to know that the message they heard, which is, we can all guess it, it's the gospel. It's the good news of Christ. Um, this is what J- James Boyce said. Um, John is referring to the gospel here, um, which is what they heard from the beginning. This is also what he says, so he's going to open it up just a little bit. It's not just the message of the gospel. He's going to open it up and say, which is the basic apostolic teaching. The apostolic teaching just means there, were, there are 12 disciples or apostles. So the things that those 12 disciples or apostles taught, um, all the things that they taught, are, are the things that they heard from the beginning. So um, John's referring to the gospel. He's also referring to the basic apostolic teaching. And in its fullest sense, however, it refers to the entire teaching of the word of God. All right, so what we heard from the beginning should abide in you. So here, here's, here's number six. I don't even know if it's up yet. I'm sorry, whoever's running back there. Um, the gospel is abiding in you. The gospel is abiding in you. So you know that you're in Christ because the gospel is abiding in you. Um, but when we say gospel, I'm going to go as far as to say also the word, the whole word of God, as Boyce would say, um, it's referring to the apostolic teaching and in its fullest sense, however, it's referring to the entire teaching of the word of God. Um, the word of God is our only offensive weapon given to us in, in Ephesians 6. You know, we have the sword and the belt and the shield and the helmet. We have all these things. Um, the only offensive weapon in all that is the sword, which is the Bible. You're not, you're not going to take your helmet and like bash people with it. You're going to use your sword. You're not going to take your belt and whip people like we could, but really, in the sense of the text in Ephesians 6, we have one offensive weapon, um, and that's the sword, which is the Bible. So we have one thing that's going to help us in, in our offense. Everything else is defensive. In offense, we have the Word. All right, so um, what does it mean? What does it mean for the, the Word of God to be abiding in us? Now, let me, let me help us see a little bit of difference, because this is different than num- number three. Number three was... You know the truth. You know the gospel. This is not just knowledge of the gospel like number three. This is number six, where this is the gospel is abiding in us. It's living in us. There's a difference there. Um, Let me just um, read a little excerpt from a book here. And, and let me give you a, a hint to what I think what we're talking about here is that the gospel and the word and a love for the word to be abiding in us. This is, uh, this is a book called Radical by a guy named David Platt. And he went on a mission trip um, overseas. And it was in a place where <clears throat> he had to kind of stay hidden because the Bible wasn't invited in there and not a lot of people had um, had... The Bible there, and this is what happens when he first gets there. Um, 
the Asian believer who's taking him gives him these instructions. Put on dark pants and a jacket and a hood on it. We're going to put you in the back of our car and drive you to the village. Please keep your hood on and your face down because you're white and everyone here is Asian. And if they see you, then they're going to know something's up and we don't want anything to anybody to know. Um, when you arrive in the village under the cover of night, um, another Asian believer meets you at the, at the door of the car follow, and he's going to say, follow me. And with your hood over your head, you crawl out of the car, keeping your face toward the ground. You begin to walk with your eyes fixed on the feet of the man in front of you as he leads you down a long and winding path with a small flashlight. You hear more and more footsteps around you as you progress down the trail. Then finally, you round the corner and walk into a small room. Despite its size, 60 believers have been crammed into it. They are all ages, from precious little girls to 70-year-old men. They are sitting either on the floor or on small stools, lying shoulders to shoulder, huddled together with their Bibles in their laps. The roof is low. There's one light bulb dangling from the middle of the ceiling as the source of illumination. There's no sound system, no band, no guitar, no entertainment, no cushion chairs, no heated or air conditioning building, nothing but the people of God and the Word of God. And strangely, that's enough. All right, now listen to what he says. Um... He got to this place, and on the first day he got there, um, they said, we wanted you to leave a, lead a Bible study. And he put some thoughts together, and after he led a Bible study, um, he doesn't remember where they started, but eight hours later, they were still going strong, studying the Bible. And they would have one conversation after another conversation after another conversation. It was very late in the evening, and they um, needed to go home, and they needed to get back to their homes. So they asked uh, the two main church leaders, and they said, can we meet again tomorrow? And he said, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be fine to meet again tomorrow. And they said, no, no, tomorrow we want to start early in the morning. And he said, well, how long do you want to study for? And they said, we want to study all day long. And so they began, began the process. Over the next 10 days, for 8 to 12 hours per day, they would gather together and study God's Word because they were hungry for God's Word. Um, and after the second day, he had read a little bit out of Nehemiah. And one of the people came up and said, we've never learned any of this truth that you're saying before. So we would like for you, it says that she dropped the bomb on me when she asked this. Would you be willing to teach us about every book of the Old Testament while you're here? Uh, and so he smiled laughing. And he said, the whole Old Testament? And he said, that would take a long time. But she wasn't kidding. Um, and by this time, everybody else was joining in the conversation. And they said, listen to this. Listen to what they said. Listen to these words. We will do... Whatever it takes. Most of us are farmers and we will, we will work all day and we will leave our fields unattended for the next couple of weeks if we can just come and learn the Old Testament. We will do whatever it takes. We'll leave our fields unattended if we can just have the Word of God taught to us. So that's what we did. Over the next day, I walked them through an overview of the Old Testament, and we started in Genesis. And in the days that followed, we plowed through the highlights and main themes of the Old Testament. Um, on the next to last day, we finished in Malachi. I had 12 hours to teach. Um, I had no clue what to say. So the next day, I started teaching on a random subject. And within an hour, I was interrupted by one of the leaders. We have a problem. I'm worried that I had said something wrong. I responded, what's the matter? He said, you've taught us the Old Testament, but you've not taught us the New Testament. <laughs> he said, I smiled, but he was serious. Um, we would like to learn the New Testament today. Um, as the others, other leaders across the room nodded, I had no choice. Um, so for the next 11 hours, we walked briskly from Matthew all the way to Revelation. Um, just imagine 11 hours. Just imagine going to a worship gathering in one of those house churches. And then, um, that's the part that I just read to you. 
There's no sound system, no band, nothing but the Word of God, and that's enough. And he says, God's Word is enough for millions of believers who gather in house churches just like this one. His Word is enough for millions of other believers who huddle in African jungles, South American rainforests, and Middle Eastern cities. But is His Word enough for us? Is His Word enough? Is His Word abiding in us? And are we abiding in His Word? I think we love the word here. I do think we love the word here. But I think that we have access to the word in such vast amounts that maybe... Let me ask the question this way. What would it look like in our lives where we have the word everywhere? What would it look like? What would this sacrifice in our lives look like if we were to say, we're willing to do anything. We're, we're willing to leave our fields unattended. If just for a while, you would teach us the Word of God. What would it look like if the gospel, if the Word of God was abiding in us and we were abiding in the Word of God? Because I think every one of us, we're just honest. None of us abide in the Word the way we want to. I don't. I don't think any of us, if we're just honest, abide in the Word the way we really, really want to. So what would it look like in our lives if we left our fields unattended? This is what would happen. Look at the second half of 24. It says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If, this is huge. We, we know that we don't abide in the word we, the way we want. And when we don't abide in the word the way we want, we don't have the relationship with Jesus the way we want. Look at 24. If, the second half, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, if you're abiding in the word, then you too will abide in the son and in the father. John 5, John chapter 5, verse 37, says this. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who knew the word of God. And that he said this, I'm sorry, it's 39, 39, not 37, John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you may have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. All the Bibles about Jesus... So if we are abiding in the Word of God, then that means we are day-to-day, in and out, seeing how precious Christ is, seeing how unbelievably attractive and beautiful He is. Therefore, we will begin, this, our heart affections will start this shift, which I know we all want, of abiding in Jesus. We'll really abide in Jesus the way we want. So, that takes us to number seven. And it's 24b and in the last part of 27. It says, let me just read 27. This is number seven. You can go ahead and put it up. A good indication or a way to know that you have eternal life or the way to know that you're in Christ is that you're abiding in Jesus. You're not just reading the word just to know more knowledge. You can abide in the word, number six, and still not have Jesus. So yes, we want to abide in the word, but we want to abide in Jesus. We want to read the word so that we know Christ Look at, look at uh, 24b. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And then 27. Talking about the Holy Spirit. But the anointing that you received abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and it is no lie, just as it... Now that it's tricky. It's tricky, because it makes you think, all right, this is the Holy Spirit. 
Right, and I think it is. Just as it has taught you, and then it says, abide in him. So you could read 27 saying, all right, that abide in him is abide in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not really trying to draw some big, huge theological difference here. I think if you abide in the Spirit, you're abiding in Jesus, yes. But that him in the end of 27, I don't think it's the Holy Spirit. I think it's Jesus. I think it's Jesus. Look at verse 28. This is why I think that hymns Jesus. And now, little children, abide in him. So he says that same little phrase, abide in him, abide in him, like he did in 27, 28. And he says, so when he appears, we may have confidence. We know that Jesus is the one that's the second coming. So this he and him in 27, I think, is Jesus. Um, and just like, and I think also from 24b, when he's talking about we'll abide in Jesus. So the point number seven, the way we know we're in Christ is that we are abiding in Jesus. We're abiding in Jesus. Um, what, what needs to happen for us to abide in Christ? What needs to happen in our life? I, I, I tried to put together a little list maybe um, of some of the things that could happen. Maybe we need to quit. Um, for me, and I don't think this is wrong, but I just know my personality. Um, I need to quit uh, following so many kind of things in the world, like whether it's TV or whether it's sports or something like that. That's me. I think a lot of people can do that. A lot of people can do that and not have this personality where they just have to dive into it and it takes their mind off Jesus. But I, I can't. It's just for some reason I can't. Um, we're all wired different. I think that another thing might be, for some of us, we need to just stop staying up so late. If we wanted to really abide in Jesus, we, we could just stop staying up so late. If we went to bed earlier, we would get up earlier and we would have our time in the Word and we would abide in Jesus more. Um, and it could be things like we have sin. If we would let go of that sin, that sometimes sin is what keeps us out of relationship with Christ. Um, maybe you just need to take a fast. Maybe you need to fast from something or take a, a, a retreat of some way. You need to just go have a, a time where you have let go of a field. You've let go of a field and you're just having 10 to 12 hours of Bible. Where you just This is just me and Jesus for this weekend. This little weekend is, is a... A staycation where I'm just going to just have a Jesus time for 10 hours a day. Sometimes, for some of us, that's impossible. You know, if you have young children, that's, you would be neglecting your family. But for some of us, maybe it is. Maybe you're in college and you have, you know, very little responsibility or some responsibility. And maybe you just need to go take a, a time where you just spend time in the Word for that long. Um, maybe you are with the wrong person. Um, if you're not married yet and you're with the wrong person. If you're married, you're with the right person no matter what. But if you're not married yet, maybe you're with the wrong person and you need to take a break from them so that you can have this time where you're abiding in Christ. You can, you can get that back. Um, I just remember there's been times in my life where I know that I, was, I was, seemed to be more in tune with the Spirit, more affectionate of the things of the gospel in Christ than, than other times. And there's, there's things that if I look back and I say, the reason why is because of that. And if I remove that, then man, things just seem to be clicking better in my life. Um, and so I think for all of us, maybe we can just start developing within us or, or, or ask Jesus to start developing within us this deep passion for being forgiven. Where Jesus just becomes the primary thing. Yes, we absolutely want to have right theology. Yes, we absolutely want to make sure we're taking mission trips. We want to make sure we're loving our family. We want to make sure that we're um, serving in our church. We want to make sure we're, we, of course, all these things we want to make sure we're doing. But above all these things, that we just find ourselves 
day in, day out, wanting to love Jesus more and fall in love with Jesus more and abide with Jesus more than what we are. Abide with Jesus more than what we are. I think a lot of us abide with Jesus well. I really do. But I think all of us would want to abide with him deeper. And so, a way to know that you're in Christ um, is that you abide. But the level of that is, is tricky. So you may be abiding, and of course you're in Christ, if you're abiding in Christ. But I think that my application here is, um, if you're not abiding, I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm saying, if you are a believer, examine how you're abiding and see if you want to abide more. See if there's ways that you can, you can change things. See if there's a couple things you can drop, even if it's just for one month. If it's just for one month. And see if your affections for Christ grow. I want to conclude with this verse. We read it as we were reading the text. Um, and this is, I think, is the best place to conclude. It's verse 25. Verse 25. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. This is the promise that he made to us eternal life. Eternal life isn't just safety from condemnation. That means eternal life is just not a place that I go so that I don't have to get away from the suffering. Yeah, if you don't know Christ, you do get away from suffering. Eternal life is the place that you can go to get to be with Jesus. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. The promise that he's made to us is that we're going to be with him. We get to be with him. And so I just want to challenge us all that this precious promise lands on us in a precious way. That the prospect or the idea that we can one day be with Christ forever. We can see him through a mirror dimly right now, but one day we'll see him face to face, as 1 Corinthians 13 says if that lands on us as just remarkable and awesome. I think it's just amazing to think that we can, we can know Him in a deep, intimate way and that we can have eternal life with Him forever. So as we go into our time of response through worship, um, I, hope that God has, I hope that God has taught you this morning. I hope God has... Um, encouraged your heart this morning to want to walk with him more deeply. And so just respond the way that God's um, leading you. Perhaps you need to sit and pray for a little bit. Perhaps you just need to um, read the Bible a little bit more. Find some verses that really minister to you. Hold on and bank on those promises. Maybe you just want to stand and and sing with us. Um, However God's leading you, just be obedient to that. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity you give me to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that as always, um, the things that I've said today that were wrong or unhelpful, that you would erase those from the minds of people and that um, they would hear from you, they would hear from the Spirit, that they would focus on the text of Scripture and its truth and how you speak to them and not me. Lord, I pray that uh, you would develop within us a deep lasting love to abide in your word and a deep lasting love to abide in Jesus. And that as we walk out of here today, that our conversations would be sprinkled with Jesus.
that our thoughts and affections would be sprinkled with Jesus. And that He would be truly the controlling person in our life. The Lord, the King of our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name.